Verse 1, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after praying, excuse me, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then we get Paul's first missionary journey. Notice a couple things here. One, it says um, in verse 3, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the church sent them off. But notice in verse 4 it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So who sends them out, the church or the Holy Spirit? Yes, that's the answer, right? The church is sending them out by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke clearly to the church who needed to go. What was the word? Paul and Silas set them apart, send them out. Um, Look at Acts 15. Sorry, Saul and Barnabas. I think I said Silas. Acts 15. Uh, in verse 22, this is the council, council at Jerusalem. And uh, there had been some issues that had been going on in the church, so they gathered together to figure it out. And this is what it says. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the the brothers with the following letter. And so they give them this letter to send out. But notice who's here. Is it just the apostles and elders choosing who should go out? No. The whole church, the whole church, in prayer, sends them out by the Holy Spirit. If we look down a little bit further, verse 40 of chapter 15, it says... But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Okay, uh, Paul says in verse 36 to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the churches that we've planted. And they kind of have a little disagreement, so they kind of go their separate ways. But in verse 40, it says, Paul chooses Silas because Barnabas didn't want to go. It says, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, they depart. So the church sends out missionaries. Now, are there different mission organizations and parachurches today doing that? Sure. But I think that um, primarily people should be sent from their churches. Maybe they go through those mission organizations. We've partnered with Praying Pelican for many years, right? But it's the church here. How? Through prayer, finances, and then individuals themselves willing to be the chosen vessels to go forth. It's the pattern of the church to do that. What's the Great Commission? Who's that given to? Is it given to the family? No, not really. Is it given to the civil government? No, not so much. It's really given to the church, right? The, the disciples, as representatives of the church, Jesus is there with them. He commissions them to do it. That commission is for us as the church to do it. So that's my first point of sin. Second, receive. 
What we see um, <clears throat> a handful of times is that these missionaries that are sent out, the places they go, um, receive them. Now, sometimes they're not always received greatly by certain of those people, but the ones that God had chosen to receive eternal life, they receive him. Look at Galatians chapter 4. In chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says this, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. So what was the response of the Galatian church? They took him in. Even in his frail condition, whatever his ailment must have been, actually the Lord used it to kind of sidetrack him, to send him up to the Galatian churches to minister to them. And what was their response? To receive him. Look at Acts 17. Acts 17, this is Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. It says, uh, Paul went in, verse 2, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So here, Jason, this is, we hear about this man. We don't know much about him. This is pretty much it. Jason, what does he do? He sticks his neck on the line for these guys when they come to Thessalonica, and he takes them into his house. He receives them. In First Thessalonians, we, we see this again. You know, if you ever are reading your epistles, some of those um, have reference to the book of Acts. So look at First Thessalonians, and we can see some correlation here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They did receive it in much affliction, didn't they? That short little um, section we get in Acts 17 about Thessalonica, persecution hits the early church there right away. But how did they receive it? They received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Look one chapter later, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So to receive the apostles, to receive them, to truly receive them, was also to receive the word of God. 
So the people that were being received into eternal life, the people that were being saved received the apostles. But also we see that when the missionaries come back, Paul, Peter, and the others come back, the church that sends them receives them as well. Look at Acts chapter 11. This is right after the story of when Peter goes and shares with Cornelius and his his people, his family. They end up getting saved. And we see in verse 1 of chapter 11, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. So he goes back to give the report, and then this circumcision party gets in there and starts criticizing him for it. Right? But he goes on to give the report, and they can't deny the work that God is doing. And it's received, as we'll see in a bit, favorably. Turn a couple chapters to Acts 14. This is Paul and Barnabas, verse 24 of Acts 14. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they came down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how they opened a door to the Gentiles. So here they go. They report back to the church and declare to them everything that God had been doing. Acts 15. This is back at the Jerusalem Council. Uh, I just want to focus on one verse here. In verse 11 it says, We believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The discussion about how the Gentiles get saved is going on. Verse 12. All the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So they hear the reports of everything that's going on and all the places they had visited, all the nations that they had gone to. One more verse in this section, Acts 21. Paul goes to Jerusalem and, and he is received favorably. We see in verse 17, when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. They welcomed him. They wanted to hear what was going on. That's my second point, receive. And finally, third point, rejoice. Rejoice. Look back at Acts 11. When Peter starts to give his initial report about Cornelius, he meets with um, a little bit of resistance. But as he tells the story, what is the end result? Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They hear the report and they rejoice at the goodness of God. They rejoice that the word is going forth. One more verse and we'll wrap up. Acts 21. This is Paul again. After greeting them in verse 19... He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. They glorified God. For what? For his ministry, for the work that was going on. And we're here going to hear about um, Lindsay's trip to Cambodia. I mean, if you think about that, guys, and then the the people that went to Belize... um, 
I mean, who knows, besides the people that maybe have already talked to Lindsay, but who, who knows what work specifically the Lord is doing right now in Cambodia? Before Lindsay went, did anyone have clear specifics of stories going on? No. What about clear specifics about Belize, what's going on there? Well, we probably, because of the connections and relationships we built, we had some info kind of flowing back and forth, but maybe no real specifics of things going on. And here's our opportunity now to hear. And think about that. When Paul got back, when Silas, Barnabas, they came back, I mean, their flow of communication obviously isn't what our flow of communication is today, right? I mean, some of us were getting daily updates from the Belize team about how things were going. Uh, back, back then, they might have waited weeks, months, sometimes maybe years to hear back a report of what God was doing. But here's the point. Regardless of how short the communication or long the length was between, they rejoiced when they saw that God was at work. They rejoiced. We're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service uh, to rejoice at the good news that we're going to hear shared today um, from the missionaries uh, that went. I'm excited to hear. We're going to be privileged to learn what God is doing. Really, because of our faithfulness, our generosity in sending these people out, our prayers and lifting them up while they're gone, we're going to get to hear that report back. So um, welcome with me, Lindsay Couples. She's going to be the first one to go and share about her time in Cambodia. Hey, family. How's everybody doing? Good. Awesome. So, yeah, I went to Cambodia July 17th. Technically, I left on the 16th, which was my birthday, but that's okay. Um, And um, I just got back on the 30th in the morning. Um, So, yeah, Cambodia is, for those who don't know, in Southeast Asia. So if you know where China is on the map, if you go down, like, you know, a few thousand miles or so, it's right down there. (laughs) Um, It's uh, right next to Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, kind of right in that general area. Um, Yeah, so God has kind of laid Cambodia on my heart um, for the past few years just in learning about different nations. I do a lot. I'm kind of a nerd. I do a lot of research on different nations and what's going on. Um, not necessarily just politically, but but how the Lord is moving in the churches there. Um, and my husband is videotaping me, and I feel very awkward. <laughs> ADHD, guys. Sorry. Um, yeah. And so I've I've kind of just been learning about the area for a while. Um, and as I was praying, I've been praying for like about the past three years as the Lord has laid missions on my heart. Where should I go? Like, there's a million trips out there and a million missions organizations and our church goes places and, and I just want to go like where you want me. And so as I was praying about certain trips, um, this year, I specifically was praying about Cambodia one day and, um, I went to sleep right after I was praying and I had a dream. For those of you who read my support letter in your mailboxes, you probably read about my dream, but basically, um, I was sleeping and I had a dream that the, I was with a bunch of people, like I was part of the group, but I wasn't doing the same thing as them. And they were actually killing Cambodian people. And I woke up, and I was, like, greatly disturbed, like, God, what? What was that? So I'm praying for, like, 45 minutes at 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, what in the world was that about? And the Lord says to me, I want you to understand that if you're not willing to go, then you are willing to be part of the group that's going to let them perish. And I was like, ah. (laughs) And so I went. Um, The Lord fully provided for that, and it was crazy because I had to raise $3,500 in a month. So, um, 
yeah, so I just want to tell you guys a little bit of um, the things that went on there. Um, if you want to know any more details, definitely ask me anytime. I think the church probably has my phone number and lots of other people do, or you can talk to me after church or whatever. Um, but basically, so Cambodia is in Southeast Asia. Um, it's not a super big country. It's not a super tiny country. Um, we stayed in the city for a couple of days, and then we went out to the village, villages, multiple villages, for eight days, and then we came back to the city for a couple of days. So we did primarily all of the ministry in the villages. Um, so we stayed at hotels. We stayed at hotels um, with no air conditioning, no toilet paper, no internet, no connection to the outside world, lots of bugs, etc. Um, there was a semi-tarantula-looking massive spider in my room, which was not cool. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so those are kind of just the generic physical conditions. It's very hot there. This is actually the cool season. It was about 95 degrees with 99% humidity every day and no air conditioning. So um, I have a desk job, for those of you who don't know, in a very air-conditioned building. So this was new for me. <laughs> um, but every day we went out. We went out to the villages. We kind of woke up. We did breakfast. I got about four or five hours of sleep every single day because we had zero free time the entire trip, really. So it was like, you go to sleep at midnight or you get in your room. You're supposed to do journaling every day. You have to be in the room ready to go at 7 o'clock in the morning. So pretty much you don't get sleep. Um, but I, got, I have to say, like, through all of that, it was totally worth it, which I will tell you about. Um, so a little bit of background about Cambodia. There have been a lot of wars I won't get into all the details, but um, it's a very war-torn area. There are a lot of amputees because there are thousands upon thousands of landmines all over the country. And um, so we met a lot of people who are missing legs, who are missing arms, um, who are widows because their husbands died, their sons died. Um, so basically, there's just a lot of brokenness in the area. There was something called killing fields in Cambodia. Um, we talked to one guy who even told us, like, yeah, when I was a kid, like, People came in our house, stormed in our house, knocked us all out. I woke up in a killing field. They held my eyes open while they killed my parents. Like, really messed up stuff. And so they are amazingly trusting when you come to their house um, despite this, but obviously very broken people. Um, so they... They also, I would say it's a very spiritually dark place. More than anything, it was a, a very spiritual battle than a physical battle in the area, despite the poverty, despite the fact that they don't have clean water, despite the fact they don't have electricity, despite all the diseases that there are thousands of mosquitoes everywhere cause. It's very spiritual. Like, they believe in evil spirits. They'll tell you, like, evil spirits will speak to me. Evil spirits will threaten to kill my kids. They'll threaten my crops. They threaten all this stuff. And because they don't know about Jesus, which... Probably 90% of the people I talked to had never heard of Jesus ever. They, they don't understand that they don't have to listen to the evil spirits. So what they do is, every year, and multiple times a year in some places, the villages have festivals where fortune tellers come, who they go to quite often in those areas, and they basically pray that evil spirits will enter people's bodies, and then they start walking on fire and cutting themselves and almost die. So, um, and they think this is normal. Very, it's very normal for them. It's normal that if you get sick, you go to the fortune teller. If you have a question, you go to a fortune teller. One lady we talked to, literally the fortune teller told her that her dead husband's ghost hit her and caused her entire right side of the body to be paralyzed. Um, so it's just a really dark place. And and our, our primary objectives were evangelism and strengthening the local church. So 
the evangelism we did every day, we were out in the villages for hours and hours and hours. We would go house to house. All their houses are on stilts, kind of like you'd see in North Carolina on the beach or something. So the whole underneath area is where they hang out all day. So you walk up, and they don't even... This is just their culture. They don't ask you questions. They don't ask you who you are. They don't even ask you why you're there. They're just like, oh, someone's walking up on my property. Come on, sit down. Here's a spot. And um, so we were just kind of like, okay, great. Hey, I'm Lindsay, 26 years old. Getting old. Yeah, I know. And uh, and it was like, you know, we're we're here. We, we're missionaries from America. And they're like, okay, cool. And, and um, there it's illegal to just tell them things. You actually have to ask them if it's okay if you share with them, which I never had a person say no. They're very friendly. So um, we would just basically share the gospel with them literally from the beginning of the creation of the world because they've never heard about this ever. They, If you ask somebody in Cambodia, like, hey, do you know how the world is created? They're like, oh, no, I've never thought about that. So you have to start from the very creation, Adam and Eve, go through the whole deal. Here's where Jesus had to die. Here's why Jesus died. Jesus died for you. Do you want to, do you believe this? Do you want to accept him? And so um, we had a lot of really interesting conversations with people because it's such a unique place. They're Buddhist, but they also worship Buddha, but they also worship their ancestors, but they also sometimes worship Hindu gods. And it's just a lot of mixes of a lot of things. So basically we had some responses that were like, oh, sure, I guess I can believe that, but like, you know, I've still got my 15 gods over here that I worship. And I remember at one house, the first house I shared the gospel with, there was like 10 people there, because there's always a lot of people at their houses. And I shared the gospel with them, and the one guy was like, yeah, sure, I believe, but, you know, I also believe my other gods. And I go, and (laughs) my whole team was like, they're really gentle people, and I can be gentle sometimes. But this time I was like, okay, well, here's what I need you to know. Jesus He says he's the one true God. He's the only real God. And he's the only one worthy of your affection. And he's the only one who's going to save you, period. And my team was like, (laughs) and I was just like, it's the truth. Like, you want me to lie to them? And so, I mean, the funny thing was that normally men don't ever receive Jesus there when they go out. In fact, normally hardly anyone does because it's just really hard to get people to turn from their 97% Buddhist culture to Jesus. And so um, it was weird because they, they kept telling me, like, yeah, guys, they don't really ever receive Jesus, so, like, don't be discouraged if guys don't receive Jesus. And so I share the gospel with this house, and I say this. We talk to them for a little while, and the four men of the households are like, yeah, we'll receive Jesus. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and so it was super cool. And um, so we went the next day, actually, to their house um, just to kind of talk to them more about what following Jesus was, you know, looked like and stuff. And there was one guy who had been there the day before who hadn't wanted to receive Jesus. And he actually was on a crutch. So he could only walk on his left leg and then his crutch and then his left leg and then his crutch. He had been in a motorcycle accident. We asked him about, after we got done talking to them, he was like, Hey, I want Jesus. And we're like, okay, great. We'll pray with you. And then we're like, okay, so can we pray for your leg? Like what happened? And he's like, Oh, I was in a motorcycle accident. He had a big bulge, giant scar. He's like, I can't walk on it. I haven't been able to walk on it for years. So we're like, Well, can we pray for your leg? And he's like, Yeah, I'm like, Well, can we lay hands on your leg? And he's like, Yeah. So we lay hands on his leg, we pray for like a while. And he goes and reaches for his crutch when we're done, and we're like, No, walk. And he's like, What? And so he goes and he walks with his left leg and he's like trying to real gently walk with his right leg. He takes about six steps like this, realizes his leg doesn't hurt at all, starts walking, walks up to his friend, is like, woo! <laughs> and he's real excited. So it was really cool because 
Now, at this point, five people had already received Jesus, all men, all the men, all the husbands and the fathers of all of the people in the house and the houses next to them. And, um, and so, like, now their whole families have witnessed this guy getting up and walking. I'm sh- pretty sure all of them are going to receive Jesus at some point. So it's pretty sweet. And, uh, yeah, so that was great. Yeah. <laughs> this is the rejoicing part Mike was talking about. I love it. So, um, so just a couple other, like, quick stories about kind of stuff that went on. Um, I actually had a dream a couple weeks before I went, which... Normally this doesn't happen to me, so this is kind of unusual, but cool. I had a dream that I was in a church, and um, somebody was sharing a really watered-down gospel with this girl I didn't know. Like, they were just like, oh, yeah, accept Jesus, because he'll make you happy, blah, 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 blah. Like, he died on the cross for you, and I'm not going to tell you why. And, um, and, and, and in my dream, I was, like, looking at this girl, like, well, I want her to know that, like, following Jesus is not just, like, some... <laughs> we thing all the time. Like, you know, there are hard times, and, like, Jesus says, like, you're going to be hated because of me. And, like, so in my dream, I was, like, I know this might turn her away, but I need to tell her this. And so, like, I go up to her and I talk to her about, like, sometimes the pain. I talk to her about sometimes the sufferings. I talk to her about people might hate you for the name of Jesus. And, like, you know, you're going to go through trials and you're going to go through suffering. And she thinks about it for a minute. And all of a sudden she goes, okay, I want to receive Jesus. And then in my dream, somebody else prayed with her. Well, so I'm, I'm, we all had to preach at the church one night. And so my roommate's like, I feel like God's telling me that you need to preach the first night. And I'm like, no, I don't think I want to do that. Like at all. And, uh, she keeps telling me over and over and over. And so my leader's finally like, okay, who's preaching the first night? And I'm like, somebody else will volunteer. Somebody else will volunteer. Somebody else will volunteer. No one volunteers. So I'm like, I'll do it. And, um, so I preach and I actually was preaching on trials and suffering, which I had zero thoughts of my dream at all. I thought I was preaching to a group of Christians, not non-Christians. And so I go and I preach the lesson and, and they ask like if anybody has any questions or comments or needs prayer. And this one girl raises her hand and she's like, Hey, somebody has been at my house sharing sort of the gospel with me all week. And I just kind of like, didn't want to receive it. But then I like heard this and like, I want Jesus. And I was like, this is just like my dream. And, um, anyways, that girl prayed to receive Jesus. She actually had a bracelet on her wrist and her son's wrist, um, from a fortune teller because her son kept getting sick and she went to the fortune teller. Her husband paid three pigs to get these bracelets from the fortune teller that were going to make her son better, which it did. This is how dark and creepy Cambodia is. And we told her like, you don't need to wear those bracelets. Like, you can take it off. And she was like, well, if I take it off, right here, right now. I'm going to go home and my husband's going to beat me because he paid three pigs for these bracelets. And we're like, okay, well, go home and tell your husband about Jesus and what he's done for you. And then ask him if you can take off the bracelet. And she's like, okay. And we're like, and we hope to see you back. She's like, okay, I'll do it. So she goes home. I see her four days later. She shows up, no bracelets on her wrist. Says she told her husband about Jesus, shows back up with her son. She's like, my son's still fine. Praise the Lord. So, um, yeah, so... So we also got to preach at a school, which was really awesome. Total crazy opportunity. It's actually totally illegal, so uh, that's okay. Um, but basically, we walked up to this principal that was a Buddhist and also worshipped his ancestors. And we were like, so, um, hey, we're missionaries. There's 12 of us sitting in a room with you. A little threatening looking, but we want to talk about Jesus at your school. And he was like, okay, how's 15 minutes? I'll give you guys an hour. And we're like for real? (laughs) We're like, okay, just to clarify, we're going to talk about Jesus and the gospel and what it means to be a Christian. And he was like, 
all right, cool. He's like, I'll give you guys 15 minutes to prepare, and then you can come and we'll get all the kids, the 200 kids that are at the school together so you can preach the gospel. And we're like, great, <laughs> okay. So 15 minutes later, we were split up into three different groups preaching to 200 kids. So we shared the gospel, shared testimonies, answered questions. Kids asked amazing questions, which just totally blew my mind. And um, normally, like when you have a group of kids, half half kids, half teenagers, um, like when you ask people to raise their hands for something, you see like a couple people do it, and the rest of them are like, I'm going to look around and see if my friends are doing it. And then the other ones are like, oh, yeah, sure, I guess I can do this. We didn't have that situation at all. We were like, raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus right now. And every single kid in the room was like, immediately. And I was like, whoa, cool. And so like there was 29 kids in our classroom, and every single one of them prayed to receive Jesus in the class. Totally illegal, but that's okay. Um, yeah, so... Two more stories, stories, quick stories. One lady, um, the paralyzed lady, I told you that went to a fortune teller that thought her dead husband's ghost had made her paralyzed. She also thought her dead husband's ghost killed her son, who was probably actually murdered, but I wasn't going to tell her that. Um, she, We asked her if we could share the gospel with her, and she's like, yeah, absolutely, but I'm not going to believe it. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to share it with you anyways. <laughs> and so we share the gospel with her, and we ask her, you know, what do you think about this? And she's like, well... I don't need Jesus. I'm old. I've lived longer than most people. Like, I'm really okay without him. We're like, I don't think you understand. Like, <laughs> you're not okay without him. And so, anyways, we we talked to her a little bit more. And then we're like, um, can we pray for your body? Like, that it won't be paralyzed anymore. And she's like, hold on, time out. What? <laughs> That's not really what she said, but you get the point. She pretty much was like, you can do that? And we're like, yeah, we can pray for your paralyzed body. And she's like, Okay, so if I'm not paralyzed anymore after this, though, then I'm definitely going to have to believe in Jesus. And we're like, okay, well, then we're going to pray for you. And she's like, okay. So we lay hands on the right side of her body, and we had been with her for about 45 minutes at this point. So we could tell for sure she could not move her right side of her body on her own. She had to use her left hand to move both every part of her right side of her body. Um, So I'm pretty sure she had a stroke, but I don't think she knew that. And so... um, really hands on her and we pray for her for a while we get done praying and she's like huh i'm like i can move my arm and we're like can you move your leg and she's like no we're like okay we're gonna pray for your leg so we pray for her leg and she gets done and she's just like moving around and she's just like okay i believe jesus and we're like we're like okay great and so she says yeah you know she goes uh so if I can walk this week, though, I'm probably going to dance all the way to the house church on Sunday. And we're like, great. We hope to see you there. From my knowledge, we've split up into two different churches. The people that were on my my team that were there with me saw that lady at church on Sunday a few days later. So I'm pretty sure she was walking. <laughs> so praise the Lord. And um, one more spiritual story, which is the last story I'll share, Mike. I know I see you looking at your watch. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so we went to this 21 year old's house that was studying to be a Buddhist monk, which was interesting and clearly seeking for truth. And we shared the gospel with him and he was kind of like, I believe you, but I also realized that I will have to turn away from everything that I've ever believed. And like, I can't have both. Like I have to have one or the other. And we're like, yeah. And so he's like, so I want to think about it. And we're like, all right, pray that the Lord reveals himself to you. Cause he does that. He's like, okay, I will. So we hear his dad the whole time. This man, we can hear in the back, is coughing profusely like he's about to die. So we're like, who is that? And he's like, oh, it's my dad. And we're like, is he sick? And he's like, he's been sick since I was five. 
This kid's 21. He goes, when I was five, my dad got really sick, and instead of taking him to the hospital, my family took him to the fortune teller. And ever since then, he's been crazy and still sick. So I'm like, okay, well, can you bring him out here because we want to pray for him? And he's like, I can try to talk him into it. So he goes back. He talks to his dad. We have no idea what they're saying, obviously, because they speak Khmer. And he brings him out, and he tells us, and the translator tells us, you guys got to hurry up because he might get up and walk away at any second. Now, here's the creepy thing. This guy is like, looks like he's like 75 years old, though I don't actually know how old he was. He walks out looking like a monkey. Okay? I mean, like this. So, we're like, we know at this point, this guy's been sick for 16 years. He went crazy after he went to the fortune teller. The fortune tellers enter evil spirits into people's bodies all the time. Right? And this old man who shouldn't be able to move like this at all walks out looking like, Real creepy. And we're like, something is definitely wrong here. And so we um, we start praying. Like, we prayed for his coughing, like his immediate physical sickness. And he stops coughing. So as soon as he stops coughing, we share the gospel with him. And we're like, do you want to receive this? And he's like, yes. And we're like, okay, repeat after us. And the guy's like, I can't. So Michelle's like, what do you mean you can't? He's like, I can't. I, I can't. She's like, you can't repeat after me? Like, you can't say the words? He's like, I can't. So clearly he can talk. So we're like... Okay, that's weird. So we're like, there's definitely something real evil going on. So we lay, we lay back hands on this guy and we start praying over like super demonic stuff. Like if they're, if he's possessed, like we pray that the demons enter his body, like exit his body right now, like in the name of Jesus. And we're like praying. Long story short, we get done praying after a few minutes. We're like, okay, can you repeat after us? And he's like, yeah. We're like, okay. So we pray with him. He receives Jesus, gets up and walks away like a totally normal person. God still delivers. Basically, my point is that Jesus cares about the people of Cambodia, and he cares about the people of every nation, and he cares that they're delivered, and he cares that they're healed, and he cares about the people of America, and he cares about the same things, and the people of the whole world. And in Revelation, I was reading this morning, I will wrap up with this mic, says in Revelation 5, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and the elders a lamb standing as a slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And it makes me think, like, he was slain and purchased, he purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. And that's part of our job, because they won't hear if we don't go. And we won't go if we're not sent. That's all I really have to say. All right, why don't we have the um, Belize team come up. They can sit in the front row. You can give it to Justice. And Justice is going to 
start things off. So, um, if you don't know, uh, our church has been um, involved in mission works uh, work in Belize since 2008, and in the village of Libertad since 2009. Um, this year, we sent a small team of uh, seven of us for six for two weeks. I was only there for the first week, and. Uh, we went to kind of check some things out and do some relational ministry and set some things up for future trips because we want to see a lot of you in the future um, there and next year as well. So um, our focus was relational ministry, and a lot of that happened. And um, along with that, I guess I would say evangelism um, and outreach stuff. Um, but we were there for... Yeah, two weeks in July. I'm not going to talk anymore about that at the moment. I'll share a little bit at the end. Um, but we're going to have the team share briefly um, some things that happened on the trip. So Mike Smith, you want to start off here? You're sitting right here in front of me. So everybody, this is Mike Smith. Uh, good morning. And so this this year was this was actually my seventh time down to Belize, and and it was very different than a lot of the previous years. And there were, there were some really crazy things that happened, and um, kind of even some of the stuff like Lindsay was talking about um, that I saw when I was down there, and and. Um, and if you want to know about that, you can ask, ask me later. I'm not going to talk about that right now necessarily. Um, but the thing, the thing that really hit me this year is, is the people, the people in the, in Libertad that I've, I've been working with for, for seven years. Some of these, some of these guys, they, they're realizing that they can't, I know a few people that have been saying, yeah, there's there's a few churches around that that are doing good things, but I wanna I wanna do the I wanna do you know kind of my thing or it's it's me and God and I don't really necessarily want to be a part of of that church or this and whatever's going on with that and and there's there's eight different churches in this village and they're they're all divided they believe different things some of them are very big into works based salvation. Um, and some of them speak sp- only Spanish. Some of them are English. Some of them are, are Creole. And it's it's there's all this division. And so a lot of the guys that I've talked to, they're, they're like, you. So you're working with with them, or you're are you part of this? Or well, we're part of we're part of this, and the, and they don't want to work together. And as a result, in the one sense, it feels like sometimes a whole not a whole lot is change or not, well, not a whole lot has happened for the community as a whole, whereas, you know, there's individuals I know that, oh my goodness, their their lives are just radically different, but, so one of the things I was really excited to see, by the time we left, there were three, three of the churches had gotten together and had this joint bilingual service, and that's, I've never seen anything like that before. And they were they were preaching about how we, we needed to come together because that is we're not going to be able to just by ourselves 
save this community. It's, it's got to be all of us together have to come and be united as the body of Christ is supposed to be united. And then we'll, then things will change in the, in the community. And so it was just an amazing thing to see, and it's hard to describe. But, but to see all these different churches, and there, there, was, a, there was a Spanish church, a Creole church, and, and, and another church, and, and they're all together, one service, playing off of which I, what it, the others had said, and, and it was just an amazing experience to see them come together and they, how they had said, you know, and and Pastor Tulia for, had been there for Pastor West when when his mom had died, and and all, and they were getting this sense that yes, we have to come together and be united, and that was and that was just really really amazing to finally see that start to happen, and some of those walls and divisions within the church begin to break down, and so that's that was. A big thing that I saw this year. Okay, so this is my second year going down to Belize, um, and um, so last year when we went down, there was a lot of like, okay, so there's like a group of guys down there that nobody ever reaches, nobody ever talks to. They play football every night or basketball every night, and they don't come into the church. Church doesn't want to have anything to do with them, and they don't want to have anything to do with the church. So everybody's just okay with that. Um, but last year we went down, and me and Ben got to like play basketball with them, play football with them, and like uh, really get to know some of them and talk to them. So I was like, oh, well, this year we'll go down. We'll do relational ministry. I'll get to see all my friends, and I'll try and get them into the church. Um, so the first week we went down there, and I'm not gonna lie, I was really disappointed because all of my friends had moved out of the village, and there was nobody there. It was really kind of like, it was weird because that was like how the village ran. All the guys went out and played basketball. They all played football every night. And like, I couldn't find any of them. Like, I couldn't find anybody. There were nobody in the village. And I was like, where the heck did everybody go? Um, But anyway, like, it turns out they all like moved out of the village, tried to find work. Um, And so they like all in the same year, same time, they all went to find work. Um, So it was really kind of discouraging to like not get to do what I thought I was going to do. Um, but as I was praying about it, um, God was really just, like, uh, showing me that, like, I mean, really through the second week that, like, God was still working there. Um, and he wasn't trying to do, it wasn't my mission. It was, like, God's mission and what God wanted to do. And so it really didn't matter what I wanted to do when I went down there um, because, like, God had his plan for the village. And so through the second week, we, like, had this, like, chance run-in with this really cool pastor down there um, that just really had some wisdom for, like, all of us as a team um, and for the village and is actually currently helping them now down there, too. And he's sort of, like... Um, but anyway, that was, like, really cool and just, like, a total God thing. We didn't work that out. And, like, that wasn't our plan. Um, but anyway, that was really cool just to see, like... And then... Um, was it Tuesday of the second week? We had a we had a prayer meeting at the church, um, and so this prayer meeting at the church is usually like the pastor's family, and then that's about it. So there's like nobody there ever. Maybe a few church members, um, but like this Tuesday, there were like 15 Belizeans. Like besides our team, there were like 15 people there, 
which was, like, unheard of. And, like, they were all, like, praying for their village, and they were praying, and, like, the Holy Spirit was moving, and it was just so encouraging to see, like, God working in that church and in that village. And he was really, like, speaking to me that, like, God is still working in that village, even if, like, all the guys moved off and I didn't get to play basketball with them, or I didn't get to bring them into the church. Um, but, like, God was still working in that village. And then moving forward, those joint service that we had on Wednesday with the three churches that Mike was talking about, um, it was just really encouraging to see, like, that they understood, like, that God had a plan for their village and that they needed to work together to accomplish that plan and that, um, like, the Holy Spirit was moving there and they just had to, like, get on the train and, like, start moving. So it was just really cool um, to see that, like, even though I didn't get to do what I thought I was going to do, um, and I didn't get to do my plan. Like, God was still really working in that village. And so it was just really cool to be a part of that. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Sarah. This was uh, my sixth time going to Belize. Um, uh, it was really cool. Um, it was definitely uh, different than a lot of years, but it was really, really good. Um, one night I was talking to Justice and we were just talking about how much, like, things have changed since our first year coming down there. Um, just really in terms of our perspective, uh, cause the first year we went down there, I remember I was like, wow, like, everything's awesome here. All these people are awesome. Everything's great. And then, you know, each year I went, like, uh, God just opened my eyes to see, like, what was really going on in that village, and there's just a lot of brokenness there. Um, the village that we work in is, like, um, 20 minutes from the Mexican border, and a lot of the people in the village work in this place called the Free Zone, and um, it's just not a good place. There's a lot of bad stuff that goes on there, and um, it really influences, like, the village that we work in. Um, it's, like, pretty sad because, uh, there's, like, um, a lot of, uh, drug addictions in the village. Like, they told us the average age that, um, boys start, uh, doing drugs is, like, eight or nine years old, which is really crazy. Um, and then a lot of, uh, girls have kids out of wedlock at, like, really young ages, Actually, like, two girls that I've known since they were, like, 11 or 12, I found out this year, uh, had babies at age 16. So, um, that was kind of hard, too. Um, but, uh, it's like, uh, the first year, you know, when I thought everything was awesome, it was like, God was, like, doing all these miracles everywhere, and he was really moving. And, like, the God of my first year is, like, still the God that's there now, and he's still doing that. And even though, like, when you know more that's going on, it's, like, it, you ha it like, takes more faith to believe that God can move. Um, but, like, God still can move. And I saw God, like, soften people's hearts, like, right before my eyes that were, like, super hard. And um, I saw God just, like, uh, work out, like, everything on our trip perfectly. Like, there was people that we were definitely supposed to talk to, and God just, like, worked it out that we could talk to them at the right times. And um, it was just really cool. Um, but uh, I would encourage anyone um, next year, like, well, even now, start, like, thinking about 
maybe going to Belize next year because there's definitely a need um, for us to go down there. Um, a lot of the kids, like, don't really have, like, uh, well, any good Christian influences in their life. Um, a lot of them don't get very much attention from their parents at all. And uh, it really means a lot to them when we come down uh, and, like, just show them that we care about them. And um, uh, also, like, there's a need to just encourage and strengthen the church. That was, like, one thing that was uh, really cool that we got to do this year is just spend a lot of time with the church and encourage them because it's hard working in that village that they work in because there's just a lot of darkness there. Um, But God definitely uh, did a lot, and it was really cool. Hey guys, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Becca. Um, this was my sixth year going down to Belize. Um, it's just, it's very interesting for me because like Sarah said, um, the first year I went down, I was like, man, all these people already know who Jesus is. Like when you ask them to accept Jesus, they're like, yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, I live my life for Jesus. And I go to church here and I tell my children about Jesus. And like, it was just this really optimistic view that we got the first year and that it's amazing like to see that these people have heard the gospel they have heard about jesus so it's just like when we go down there like man i mean we got our work cut like i mean everybody already knows about jesus so um it's just been really interesting over the year though the years though um getting to know these people um getting to know the people in the church getting to know other people in the village um just every year we go down we get to know them better and we get to spend more time and we find out more things in their life that they need prayer for and things that um, God can work in their lives and, and through. And um, it's just been really interesting. At times it's been really discouraging. But um, also it's just really strengthened my faith a lot, um, personally and in people that I know down there. Like um, I've just seen God work in miraculous ways in these people's lives and um, things that they never believed could happen to them or that God could fix in their lives are like, no, that will never happen. This is just how it is, and I'm okay with that, but this is how I'm dealing with it. And I rely on God to give me strength, but I don't believe that he's going to change this situation because this is this is just life. This is how it is. So it was just amazing um, in this one circumstance with one of the women I know down there. She just, her heart was so hard about this situation in her life. She's like, I believe in God. I love God. I believe God gives me strength, but this is how it is. This is my life. It's not going to change, and I just have to deal with it. Um, And it was just amazing. Me and Sarah got to work very close with her, and um, we just got to encourage her. And it was just, it was very out of my comfort zone because this woman is, like, way older than us. So we're like, how how are we qualified to give this woman any advice in her life? Like, she's lived through all of this. She's been married. She's had children. Like, we don't have any, like, life-based experience on how to tell this woman to live her life other than how we see the Lord work in our lives. And I mean, our God is her God and he's so faithful. And, um, it was just amazing to see this woman's heart soften in front of us. Um, and another, um, woman that I know in the village, um, I met her, I want to say it was two years ago. Um, uh, we were doing some outreach, uh, door-to-door ministry in the village, and um, met this woman. Her name is Lillian, and um, 
we go, she invites us into her house and we all sat down on the couch and we were talking with her and she said, yeah, a couple weeks ago I was in an accident. Um, me and my friend were standing on the road next to the football field in the village and this car ran over us, me and my friend, and she couldn't walk. Her legs were broken in multiple places. She had scars all over her face, all up and down her arms. She's like, it was a miracle that I even survived, but now I can't walk and I can't provide for my children because my husband has left me. Um, and, uh, so it was just, she was very broken, very discouraged. She was like, I have these children. I have no way to provide for them. I'm living with my father. Like, she's like, I don't know what to do with my life. So, um, she let us pray for her. Um, we prayed for healing and, um, I, I got to see her at one of the services later that week. And it was just really, it was really cool to see her be so willing to let us in and pray for her. Um, like Lindsay was saying, the people in Belize, they just invite you in. They say, come sit down, come sit down in my house. Like, can I offer you anything to drink? Like, and they're so willing to just sit there and listen to you. Even if they don't agree with what you're saying, they will sit there and listen to you. It's just such a courtesy that they have down there. But, um, so then the next year we go down and I'm like, I need to go find this woman's house. We need to see how she's doing. So, um, me and a couple people were doing door to door ministry again. We go to this house and, um, all her scars are healed up and everything, but she still can't walk. And she's like, um, I would just like prayer for my family. I would like you guys to pray, um, for my family that I can provide for my children, um, that they can go to school and that I can, um, give them food and that, um, she was in a lot of pain still from this accident. Um, she's like, I just want to pray for my pain. So we prayed for her again, and um, we got to see her a couple times throughout the week, but um, nothing had really changed too much. So um, this year we go down, and um, we had been in the village for a couple days. Was it you, Mike, that went by her house, or was it you, Justice? It was Justice. So um, I was off in a different part of the village that day, and um, later... That day, Justice came up to me. He's like, hey, um, do you know this woman who lives in the house by the basketball court? I was like, oh, yeah. Um, I forgot her name for a little bit. I was like, yeah. Uh, he's like, she was asking about you. And she um, was walking. And I was like, she was walking? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so I need to go see this woman. So, um, so we go to her house. And I'm like, we walk. And I was like, hey, do you remember me? She's like, yeah, I remember you, sister. Like, um, and I was like, it was just amazing. Um, my, our other friend, Miss Anna was there with her. We know Miss Anna. She's, she knows everyone in the village. Um, but, uh, so we were like, um, can we pray for you? She's like, yeah. Um, and then she gets up and walks towards me. I was like, whoa, you're walking now. <laughs> like, this is crazy. We've been praying for healing for you for two years. Like, and it was just really encouraging to see that healing. Um, because sometimes I think we get a little apathetic about our faith and we're like, oh, well, God did all these miracles way back when. And like, we don't really believe that like God does miracles now. He does, he heals people's bodies. He changes people's hearts. And it's just like amazing that we get to, he still does those things and he lets us be a part of that. And um, it's just like, He's so faithful even when we're not. And that's just a been, been a big thing on this trip for us is in all these situations where we're like, okay, yeah, God, like, I mean, we'll do this because you told us to, but like, okay, I mean, you got really got to come through on this. And we're like, oh, we'll see if, we'll see if he does it. But uh, like just every single thing that we did on this trip, it was just amazing. God came through every time and he was like, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it even bigger than you thought I was going to do it. And like, oh my gosh, it was just like, 
like what Austin said, like we have our plan that we bring into this. We're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go to Belize and we're going to do all these awesome things. We're going to share God. And yeah, people are going to love us for it. And it's like God's like, oh, no, this is my plan. And my plan is awesome. And you guys are just going to be like, whoa, like when you see my plan. So it's just, it was just amazing this year. It was a year of first. It was um, really such a blessing to um, be able to uh, just see his amazing and awesome plan in these people's lives and how he carries it out. It's just amazing and beautiful. And you guys should all come next year. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Um, I'm Ben. For those of you who don't know, I don't know who wouldn't know that, but uh, I'm Ben. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, I'm not, not trying to be arrogant or anything. <laughs> um, but this is my second year going, and kind of like what Austin was saying, it was, uh, and everybody's really been saying this, it was a lot different from last year, and I'm guessing the past years that everybody's gone. Um, and similar with Austin, I had made a lot of friends last year with a lot of the guys. You know, there's like, 60 guys down there that I feel like we met, and we saw them every night, basically played sports with them. And so when I heard, when we were kind of talking this year, we're like, yeah, this is going to be a relational year. We're going to try to focus on relationships. I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, I can focus on these, like, 50 dudes that are my age and love sports, and I can kind of try to get them to go to church, and it's going to be sweet. And I get there, and, like, no one is playing soccer or football. Um, No one's playing basketball. We see maybe, like, three or four guys we recognize, like, the whole week, and I'm like, why am I here right now? <laughs> I mean, like, to be honest, the first week, um, I think I was really open to the fact that spiritual warfare, we talk about it all the time, but it's something that's really real, and I think the most deadly thing about spiritual warfare is it's not necessarily, well, it's not, a lot of the time, it's not visible. Sometimes it is. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times when I encounter it, it's not something that I see um, blatantly. Like, I don't see a physical um, war going on. But I could really tell that spiritual warfare was happening kind of just in my personal life that first week. Because I really didn't want to be down there that first week. I didn't enjoy it. Maybe that was because justice was there. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> um, but I didn't, I didn't like it, you know. I mean, we had none of the guys who I was friends with, really, and wanted to see with, were there, and, um, we, the kids, for whatever reason, the kids were insane this year, like, the little kids, we had a soccer game come out, we had all the village out there, and these kids were attacking us, <laughs> screaming in my ear, I had, like, six kids on me at a time, they're yelling, we're gonna stab you, and different things, I'm like, what is happening, this is not, this is not what I envisioned happening, uh, <laughs> so the first week was rough for me, okay, <laughs> but what God's been revealing to me a lot um, this past year is when we do, we need to be willing to do His will when we don't see what, you know, the results of that, of that is gonna be, and when we don't even want to do it, when we don't have fun doing it, because service isn't fun. I mean, Jesus dying on the cross was not fun. Um, and so if I'm going to emulate Christ, I'm going to have to go through that same suffering. And so that's really been something that I'm learning this past year. And then that's not to say all of Belize was bad. I really enjoyed the second week, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Austin led the trip, so, you know. Second week was great. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Justice was awesome. Uh, <laughs> we joke a lot in Belize. But, um second week, we were able to kind of really get to know the West, I feel like, and their um, 
pastors at the church down there, and that was really cool. We we ate at their house um, three times, I think, for dinner, and we just kind of were able to become more friends with them and just kind of connect with them, and that was really cool. It, it wasn't so much like last year where I felt I was just going down there to help these random people that I don't know. It was kind of like, these are our friends, our family in Christ, and we're going to try to help them reach out to the surrounding village. And so that was really cool. So I just really encourage you guys to go, if you feel led to go. And even if you don't feel led to go, go, because you're supposed to go. So, yeah, thank you. (laughs) My name's Dan. Most of, hi, Dan. Yes, okay. So, hi, y'all. Um, this is about my fifth or sixth trip down to Belize. Um, I really appreciate Lindsay's testimony about the spiritual warfare and the stuff that she ran into in, um, uh, in the Middle East. And um, what's interesting is, is that Libertad's no different. And as some of the other team had testified, you know, when we first get down there, we kind of like, well, this is really kind of cool. But this year was really different. We really kind of recognized the spiritual warfare that was going on. And um, as Becca talked about, being able to help a couple, and she was talking about dealing with um, a woman. Uh, it is amazing that two young ladies who weren't married are dealing and discipling a lady who is. And it was just really, really cool to see how that happened. Um, and also we ran into a... Um, the real miracle thing I thought was that really first spoke to me was so we uh, Mike and Justice ran into Pastor Smith in the previous trip down there, and then he we met him for the first time there. He helped us with a couple, had some incredible insight on the village and the background of that village and what was going on there that is really was instrumental in us planning what we're going to do next year. Just incredible spiritual insight about what was going on there. And and as, as Lindsay talked about, we had a situation where someone had some demonic activity in a house. And we had an opportunity to spend a couple of days to pray about it. And as, you know, as in the situation in Scripture and the Gospels, you know, the disciples had a demon they couldn't get rid of. And Jesus talked about the fact that this can only get rid of with prayer and fasting. So we spent two days in prayer and fasting for this. And before we even went and actually dealt with that, the demon was removed. Because we went to the house, it was gone. And we weren't even there. And so that was absolutely amazing event. Um, and that shows the power of prayer and, um, you know, and, you know, in, in Mark in chapter 16, Jesus talked about one of the signs of the, of the saints is that they can cast out demons and it's normal. Um, I was sharing with somebody just a while ago when I was in Sudan, um, we had a, a nutrition village where Sarah worked at when I went and visited her when she was in Finland and they, they, save malnutrition babies and moms come from like you know days away and these babies come and they're dead and you know we don't talk about miracles because it happens every day she said every baby that comes in here we pray for them and and it's a miracle and you know it's like we really need to get the idea that you know that miracles can happen every day that god does incredible things every day and it's just amazing what he did in, in Belize, uh, the two weeks we were down there. We, and, you know, we complained about not wanting to do vacation Bible school. We did not want to do vacation Bible school. So we get down there, we have to do two days. And, um, and it was, so what are we going to do? We hadn't planned this. 
And so um, through the input of a whole bunch of people, we decided to, uh, you know, what we were going to teach. So we talked about bad language and alcohol and drugs. And Mike and I did that, and we put it on, we put everything on, 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 on boards. I used the scriptures uh, talk about the bad language and the scriptures that, that, that talk about alcohol, drugs and alcohol and pharmacia and the demonic aspect of all of that. We told these kids this. And I had it on boards, and we had the scriptures, and I also had a board that had the gospel using the four, the four spiritual laws, both in English and in Spanish. So Mike was really good about We got out there, and we would share the scriptures and back and forth. Well, at the end of two days, we had an average of about 100 kids for both days the end of the two days, and this is something we complained about, we didn't want to do, 17 kids gave their life to Jesus and came forward. And um, so, you know, it was absolutely incredible. I am really excited about next year. Uh, I think we're getting really, really more aware of the spiritual aspects of why it's so important to go down there and the things that God wants us to do and the incredible, miraculous things that he can do through us if we're willing to trust him. You know, everybody said, you know, my faith has been grown because of this. And, you know, mine has too. It just reminded me how much more than it's just relationship. It's a real spiritual battle. And I want to end it with one thing. Uh, Joe sent me a, sent us a message. And I want, to, I want to read it to you. He sent this on the 24th at 11.15. Joe West. Joe West, the assistant pastor, um, literally, uh, uh, down there. And um, he sent this. Um, Just want you two guys to know that you are really a blessing to us. Words cannot explain how fortunate we are that you guys have come to our community. I want to praise God for that. I hope that we guys will be praying for each other. Please share this with with everybody on the team and remind your church of this also. May God bless you all. Amen. Um, Joe and I have really developed a pretty good relationship. We, I got another chance to go down to visit his son who is in prison. And we got to spend 45 minutes with him. And it was really great. Um, uh, he was really struggling. He was crying. He wanted to go home. He was homesick. And just what a great opportunity to sit here and encourage him. And uh, it was really, really one of the most moving moments I've ever had for a kid who's really struggling, who really does love the Lord. And he's in a tough spot. And uh, to sit and encourage him. And then also um, Pedro's brother, Daniel, uh, who had kind of disappeared. His father, Their father died. We went to the funeral. We, Joe and I went to his house, and we were able to sit with him. And he recommitted his life to Christ, and he started coming back. And all this good stuff is changing. Um, just, just incredible things. Which just, just, I just can't wait for next year. All right. What's that? You want to say something? No. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, Hannah, can you come up? 
No, I just want to say that I think what um, what our church is learning, what our belief team is learning. Yeah, up there. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. If you want to hang out here for a little bit with me, I mean, <laughs> that'd be cool, you know. <laughs> um, what what we're learning as a church is that um, long term missions is messy, and that's because. People have messy lives. I have a messy life. Do you have a messy life? Yeah. If you if you don't, then you're probably fooling yourself. Because whether it's interfamily relationships or spouse relationships or kid relationships or just personal stuff you're dealing with, we have a lot of messiness in here. And when you start and go and minister to people, then you kind of get drawn into that messiness. And the same is, is true here, right? If you get involved in people's lives you get involved in messiness. But here's the thing. We have the hope of the gospel. And that's what we're taking to these people. Some of them, we're reminding them about it. Some of them, we're bringing it to them for the first time. Some of them are receiving it for the first time. And um, I really believe, you know, Sarah and... um, and, and Becca got to, you know, share with the lady, basically, that was considering leaving her husband... And, um, you know, key family in the village here. And I believe that if our team would have gone, that that, we probably would have gone back next year. And this key family, they probably would have been divorced. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. And um, that's hard to put a price on a marriage, right? Um, If if your marriage is falling apart, you know, can you put a price on your marriage? No. And so... I believe that God is using us and using our team and using the people that are going to Belize. I, I truly believe he is using us to hold back the powers of darkness in that village. Amen. And the enemy wants to um, swoop in there and um, do his damage, and he wants to grab people for himself. Pastor Vaughn spoke on the seeds, and the enemy wants to snatch those seeds that are being planted. He is snatching some of them, but I believe that God is using us to keep, help keep those seeds um, planted, help keep them watered, um, encourage them along as they're starting to pop up out of the ground, to take, take care of them, even to guard those um, seeds so that that true and righteous fruit um, can come from it. And so it's kind of hard with just you know 20 or 30 minutes to really get in-depth of what's going on um, but that's what I truly believe. I wouldn't share that if I didn't believe that. I believe that God um, really used the team, especially this year, um, in ways that can't always be put into words, maybe ways they don't even know, um, in powerful, powerful ways. This connection that we made with um, Pastor Smith when Justice and I were down there a few months ago, um, I believe that that was a divine connection from the Lord. And, and actually, he's, Pastor Smith is going to be coming um, up here to our church um, in about a month, so we're going to actually get to hear from him. So I believe he's he's worked that out. We're going to be privileged to hear from um, Pastor Smith, um, who just lives one village over um, from Libertad, and he has given us some great insight and wisdom into um, ministering down there. Anyway, I would like to end um, with uh, a song that kind of rejoices at the work that God is doing. Sometimes you hear about some of this stuff, um, and it can it can maybe be heavy. You can go ahead and stand. Um, but Jesus has the victory. Jesus has the victory. Amen.
that's what we want to focus on. That's what we want to rejoice, and we want to bless him um, for his faithfulness. Amen.